Welcome to the Rust Belt Rundown, brought to you by Rust Belt Recruiting. This podcast is designed to shine a light on the meaningful work being done in Northeast Ohio and the surrounding region. We will convene manufacturing executives and Northeast Ohio business leaders for candid discussions about their business, regional happenings, industry trends, entrepreneurship, and more. Now, let's get running on the rundown. Welcome, everyone, to episode 40 of the Rust Belt Rundown, a Rust Belt recruiting production. I am your host, Paul O'Connor, and on this episode, we are joined by Mick Gentrysack, president and CEO of Pilot Plastics. Mick, welcome to the, uh, to the podcast, man. Happy Friday. Good morning. Happy Friday to you as well. Happy to be here. So let's jump in. Um, we talk a lot about workforce development on this podcast. Uh, as I was reading through your mission statement, I really like the fact that you guys mentioned employee training specifically in that. And, and the, uh, the sentence that I'm referring to is, we are committed to continuous employee improvement by training our workforce with an emphasis on the transfer of technical knowledge to all employees. So my question is, tell us how you implement that within your day-to-day employee experience? Well, you know, it's a, I mean, it's a big question and there's a lot of, <clears throat> there's a lot of ways to approach that question with, with answers. And we look at it and we think that the, the everyday kind of day labor, and I use day labor just as, you know, as an entry level position is something that you just can't look at that person, the the unskilled entry le- level labor, as that's it. Like that's all. That's the only where place you're gonna go. Like, and, and that's where a lot of manufacturing, I think, fails because that's you. You get hired in for that spot. You're in that spot for as long as you want to be in that spot, whether you quit or you you know, unless you get promoted in some way. So we look at it as this is just the beginning of a journey here, that if you want to go into quality control, you want to go into any, you know, floor work, inventory control, you know, material handling, go into the warehouse, you know, to learn any other skill, we will do that 100%, no questions asked. Whether you come up to us and say, hey, I'm really interested in what, you know, so-and-so is doing over here, we'll for sure, like, we always want to have that upward mobility occurring. And then, you know, we also have, you know, the tooling side and the technology side as well. So when we say that we want to have a continuous employee improvement program, that's exactly what it is. It, it's not just a dead-end job. And it, that's part of the issue with I think a lot of the kind of old school mentality of of manufacturing and and I have definitely seen it and experienced it I mean I started as a press operator my first job I was 16 was that you were hired in as a as a quote-unquote you know press operator production operator that was it you weren't moving the only way you're going to get ahead and you know, it was to go to a different job, go somewhere else or get, you know, be, get educated. We want to be able to offer that education in-house. So we want to see the scale up of, 
of employees. You know, we don't want them to just think that, well, this is what I do and it's a dead end job. Now, obviously, there's a certain percentage that are just going to be like, nope, this is my spot. This is where I want to be. I don't want any additional responsibility. And that's fine. That There's nothing wrong with that. But we want to encourage and we want to promote and we want it to be known that we're not a dead end zone, that we're not just this is it. This is your your one moment and you're stuck there. So that's why we look at the continuous employee improvement by training our workforce. And because it's also that technology is becoming such it, especially during COVID and with the, you know, with people retiring and moving on and the the boomer generation retiring, there's just this huge gap in the workforce that we're, it's going to move into robotics. It's going to move into automation that the unskilled entry-level work, you know, worker is going, going to have to understand technology and we're going to teach it and we're going to get them to understand it because work cells are eventually going to be driven by automation and by robotics. And so there's going to have to be a certain particular amount of skill set to be able to, to manage those kind of work cells and work clusters. Yeah, it reminds the, the thought behind continuous employee improvement reminds me of that quote. Um, and I don't know who said it, but I'll, I'll find out after the episode. You know, what happens if we train our employees and they leave? And someone responds, well, what happens if we don't and they stay? <laughs> and I always sure. love that quote, right? Like, you know, what is the alternative? You know, right. so why wouldn't you do this? So one, one more question on that. Is it, um, you know, when you hire uh, new people, is that something that is part of their onboarding where it basically says, hey, you're doing this now, but this is part of our culture. And if you want to do so, it's all part of that kind of like cultural learning right. process. Right. Correct. Yeah. We flat out tell everybody like, listen. If you have interest, let us know. Or if the supervisor says like, this guy's really getting it, you know, woman or man, whoever, they're really understanding this. They picked it up like that. We'll say like, well, talk to them, figure out, do they want to learn more? Do they want to do more? Do they want to have more responsibility? More responsibility comes with additional dollars. What, where do they want to see? What do they want to do? So we have zero, zero issue with that with that push whatsoever we encourage it and we and it's when people get hired in that is the first thing that hr talks to them about walks them around and identifies all the different sectors all the different quote-unquote departments that we have and says like just once you feel comfortable take a look at what's going on and if you like it let us know and we'll start the program love it um, all right, let's jump into Pilot Plastics. Give us the the elevator pitch, and then we'll jump into you know the industries you work in and and the services you provide. Right. Elevator pitch: We we are a custom, primarily large tonnage injection molder. Our median tonnage range is you know thirteen hundred ton. We have thirty. We will have thirty four machines on the floor this year. We're clean, we're well lit, we're super organized, well structured. We don't do any, we don't have any proprietary products. We don't make anything. We work with all of the largest OEMs around the, you know, Northeast Ohio and then up some into Michigan and, and Indiana 
Uh, so we we do the jobs that people don't want to make the investment in all the equipment and necessary that you know that kind of the big stuff so it, it takes a lot of money to do the big stuff we've put the investment in and we that's what we do so we we just we do all the jobs that people just don't have the capacity to do on their own and what uh what industries are you guys currently working in so we're spread out we're very since i came on in october of last year we have diversified immensely so now we're in you know we're housewares we're heavy utility we are in like i would consider more high-end children's toys we do janitorial and then we also do uh some pet food container product lines so we we're in a lot of different sectors and have diversified within those sectors so there's all kinds of subgroups but I would say there's five main areas that we that we we focus on. And what does the sales process look like for you guys? Um, it certainly sounds like it's you're in the B2B world, but when you want to expand into a new industry, where are you going? Who are you, who are you talking to? What what does that look like? Uh, well, for me, I, I I'm particularly lucky. So you know, I worked here. 13 years ago or so and left. We can get into that a little later. Uh, but I was very fortunate that when I left, I stayed within the industry. So I worked within two sectors of the industry. I worked on the like recycled content specialty compounding side. And then I moved over to the you know prime virgin resin world as well. So I was on the resin side. So I developed a fantastic network of accounts and people that trusted me and really appreciated the effort that I put into making sure that they were my number one priority. So when I came on board, I was able to rely upon that network that I built over the last 13 years or so and just say, hey, this is what I'm doing. It's it's not out of the realm of, you know, we're it's all the same, but what do you have? What can I do? And because they trusted me and knew that they, I could be relied upon, they graciously shifted a lot more work over to us because I dealt with all the big OEMs in the area and other large injection molding houses. And we've been able to capture and diversify more work that way. So you mentioned in the past year or so that you guys diversified who you were working with. Will that continue? Will you continue to look for Is new industries? As long as I can keep the momentum going, yes. Yeah. So that's, yeah, makes sense. Right. Um, okay, let's jump into the industry itself. I'm curious, uh, you've, you've been in it for, is it 15 plus years now? Well, I've, I'm, I'll be 45 this year. I started as a press operator when I was 16 years old. It was my first job that I ever had at a small injection molding company. So I've, been in I don't know any I don't I've tried to get out I've tried to move <laughs> on I tried really hard a couple times and I just I kept kept you know just kept working out for me so I joke oftentimes with my wife that I'm like you know maybe I need to pivot into something else and she laughs she's like what what else do you know <laughs> yeah right I know I mean if you've been in it that long you're you're an, an industry expert right you I know, mean I'm, I'm entrenched yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah, so this is a perfect question. I mean, you started when you were 16. 
you know, what did the plastics industry look like then? And, and how has it changed uh, all the way up to 2022? So, I mean, it, it, yeah, it was, it was very not mechanized and not, you know, the, all the shops that I grew up around, it, they were very, it was very labor intense, very hands-on, a lot of just hand assembly. Now you look at it, you know, with the, you know, photo eyes and, and robotics and cobots, you know, collaborative robots and automation cells and everything. I mean, that, that whole sector has just exploded. I mean, you look at guys like Orbis or Monoflow or somebody like that, what they're doing, it's just, it's insane that they can be a whole hundred, almost a hundred percent lights off operation. And when I started, that was almost unheard of. It didn't, it, it was like you heard about it, but the just the technology itself is is wild. I mean, I look at you know Husky is the predominant brand of of injection molding equipment that we have here on on the floor. And it's a hundred percent touchscreen, a hundred percent just it's basically it's a computer that just so happens to make parts. So explain, so because I don't know, and I assume people listening uh, won't know either, like the lights on, lights off. Like, what does that mean? Well, so lights off just means that it's so automated that it doesn't require any human interaction whatsoever. So you can shut the lights off, go home, and it just keeps running and does it because the the automation and the robotics can do a QC check on the entire part and put the bad part into a different bin and it knows if the color's off. I mean, all the amount of technology that's going towards, you know, making it for a touchless system that didn't exist when I, when I was, you know, started as a kid. So we obviously innovation is never going to stop. New technology is never going to stop. Um, and to what you said in the beginning of the episode, you know, people have to adapt, people have to learn the new technology. And although there's a negative connotation with, you know, the, the new wave of technology and what that's going to do to people, a lot of the times it creates new jobs that we didn't even know were going to exist. Now, is that the case with this type of automation where, Okay, the human used to do it. Now the computer does. But is there a new job that popped up because of that? Yeah, all the programming, all the engineering that goes into that. And I, I truly believe that a lot of what is done or is happening now with the, you know, the collaborative robots and the full seven axis robots and, and you know, all the, the photo eyes, checking quality and color and everything else that it can be done. Somebody can learn that from the ground up, that it could, it can be taught on site that, and so that's going to create those jobs. So that, that entry level, you know, unskilled laborer that we were talking about at the beginning of this episode, that person I truly do believe can be trained in house to understand how to operate that equipment, how to be a part of that new system, that new process. And, you know, with that education brings stability, it brings stability in your community. And it's a whole ripple effect. So, you know, that that old school mentality of this is just 
this is where you you get hired on as and this is where you're going to be for the rest of your life that goes away because we want to be able to educate and train and with the advancement of technology i mean think about it how where do we go to learn about injection molding i think there's maybe two three four at most like technical polymer schools mm -hmm. where do you go to learn how to process where do you go to learn how to do seven axis robots how do you where do you learn to do all that i mean i'm lucky we have my manufacturing engineer the most amazing individual ever he's all soft taught self-taught on collaborative robots on how to program how to work all that so where, but you know that's the thing like where does the education where does that exist to train that type of thing other than the guy that's selling the equipment i don't know yeah. yep you know, where where's that where do you where do you bridge that gap how do you do it other than training internally i know and that was my thing it was like it's a competitive advantage for you guys to to be able to train internally but not everyone can do that no yeah that seems to be an industry gap, man. Um, hmm, interesting. All right. Let's shift gears a little bit. Um, every single one of my process technicians real quick, like yeah. every single person here, you ask like, Hey, where did you learn how to do this? Ah, oh, so-and-so at this, that this shop taught me how to, how to do this. Okay. Where did you learn how to do this? Well, I learned from so-and-so at this shop, how to do it. Where did like, there's no, it's an internal, like you get your pedigree internally yep. on how to do it. I mean, I, when I was a kid and learning how to, to process, it was my cousin was teaching me. I mean, how has this not been standardized across the industry yet? I, I have no idea. Like, so for example, Husky came in, we had Husky come in last week and we did a three-day on-site training program for all our process technicians. That was the first time that any of them had any sort of formal training. I mean, the, the, it's, it's very old school in terms of like mentor to mentee type of learning, Correct. which is, which is great in terms of if, how you learn. If but, the mentor wants to teach it. Yeah. That too. Those guys that's like, no, I'm not going to tell you anything. Yep. I'm gonna hold on to this information till the day I die. Trust me, I got a couple like that here. They are they don't want to teach anybody because they're so afraid that it's gonna jeopardize their job, that they're gonna all of a sudden be replaced. I'm like, no, I how do I extract all this info? It's it's a you don't go to University of Akron to learn it. I know. Maybe you need to start your own school. <laughs> Uh, yeah oh that'd be great i would i'm all for it i would yeah. do it i mean, I mean like, why not right yeah, pilot right. plastics university right right <laughs> um all right let's shift gears to congrats on the launch of your new website logo and, and and basically overall brand that is not an easy process i have done that uh i've been part of two of those with two different companies it is uh excruciatingly painful yeah um, so what, what prompted you to kind of refresh it and, and go through that process? You're going to laugh. It didn't <laughs> exist. Wow. There Wait, was nothing? Zero web, no, zero website, no website whatsoever. 
Wow, that's old school. I mean, you guys were you guys were killing it just based on relationships. So remember, I wasn't here for 13 years. Yeah. Yep. And it was, you know, my father, just a little backstory, you know, he ran, it was his thing. He ran the show. And they just they were very draconian in their ways and how they treated people and who they thought of how they thought of themselves. So when I was put forth with the task and I came back, the first thing I looked at, you know, I said, okay, what's our, you know, our, our, what's our compass of responsibility? And it's got to be employees, customers and vendors. I said, but how do we get the word out that we're not this, this kind of, you know, ominous draconian place that just chewed through people and didn't have any respect for anybody else but themselves. I was like, we need a rebrand. We need a website. We need to get the word out, you know, just in our community. So, you know, website, obviously, we redid the brand, we redid the logo. And that was part of the big step to differentiate ourselves from that old, like, manufacturing peaked in 1992 kind of mentality to today, which is we want to be known and we want to be out there. We want to be stewards of good in our community. So we're, we're actively just saying like, here we are, this is, this is us. This is, we're not the old, we're not the old group. We're not that old regime. We're, we're full of vibrancy. We're, you know, I'm the oldest one on the executive team. I'm 45, I'll be 45 this year. So we brought a whole new amount of energy to it. And that's why we went through with the rebranding and we didn't get rid of the name because I didn't want to go through that whole hassle, but you know, the new logo, the new brand, the new, you know, brand new website, didn't have a website before. That was, that was a lot. It was a lot to take on. So yeah, it's a ton. And if uh, no one has ever done that, I mean, just a website build alone is, is brutal. So uh, to yeah. redo everything and basically to your point, create it from scratch is right. uh, mind blowing. So you want to, sh- who, who was the company that you worked with? We can shout them out. Oh yeah. That was uh, Todd Birch, Birch at Evolve Marketing down in Akron. Amazing. I mean, I've given them tons of shout outs on LinkedIn. They, they were um, just it, they made it so simple and they dialed it in and it took minimal corrections to get to where we are with everything today. And they did an amazing job. Just, yeah. yeah. What, um, I mean, it certainly seems like you're, you're, you're obviously already understanding kind of like where the employer branding concept is going. Um, we've, we've talked about this with a couple other guests of, you know, what does it mean to work at a company? And what are you putting out into the world to try to sell to people to come and work for you, right? So I guess the question is, you know, with this, with this rebrand and the website build, what are you hoping comes out of it? And, and what are you wanting the new Pilot Plastics brand to represent? What- what I want it to, what we want it to represent is that we want to be, you know, the bedrock of the community. We want to be able to provide stability with, you know, excellent pay, career advancement. We want there to be, you know, we want to be stewards of good. We want to be known in the community. We want to be known as like, hey, 
you can get a job here and it's a job that you can hold on to for a long time. They're going to educate you. They're going to train you. And, you know, if you don't like it here with, and <clears throat> excuse me, and you take that knowledge elsewhere, that's fine. That means that somehow we goofed up if you don't want to stay here. And like, there's that 20% or so that there's just nothing we can do about that, but we hope to retain. I mean, we went from the old pilot plastics had a turnover rate of, was it like ninety percent? In how in how long? Like turnover rate in what a year? Oh yeah, I mean just chewed through people. There there were temp agencies that didn't want to work with pilot at all because wow. they just didn't they could they were not easy to work with. So when I started, when I came in in October on October sixth, there were we had thirty six hired in employees with a sixty percent reliance on temp labor. We're now at 95 hired in employees with a 20% reliance on temp labor. Yep, that's a big difference. We've changed the the viewpoint uh, that people have of pilots. So for for us, you know, like I said before, we want to be the bedrock of the community. We want to be stewards of good, and we want people to know that this is a a great place that you can have a stable, not just a job but a career. And that's been our big push. And we've partnered, partnered up with a lot of local local groups. We're, we have a great relationship with the city. Again, we're, we're doing everything that we should be doing and then, then some. Yep. Um, let's jump into the future a little bit. If, if you could predict a trend or a couple trends over the next decade when it comes to workforce or manufacturing, uh, you know, what, what do you think that will look like? The workforce is going to be, I, it's going to be a transition from unskilled to skilled. Uh, you know, I really see the need to train people to understand how to operate the equipment uh, as a whole with all the robotics, the collaborative robotics, the automation and, and everything else. I mean, everything's so connected and, you know, it's all, you know, computerized it makes me sound old when I say computerized but everything just so wired in that the everyday kind of day laborer spot I think is is going to eventually fade that's gonna turn into a more skilled skilled set I mean we see it here it's just not you're just not looking at a part and putting it in a box there's more to it it's going I'm, I'm to be a constant evolution of that. I'm surprised you didn't say Pilot Plastics University is the future, but again, it, well, it, that it, is. I, I think mean, we think about it, we talk about it, but we're just not there because, like, every single person on my executive team, and then I would say more than half of our skilled labor positions have come on with me since October of last year. Wow. So we're, we're very new, not new in the industry, but new, you know, for pilot, what we've accomplished in the seven to eight months that we've all been here is moving the rock of Gibraltar was easier. And we, we, and we did it. I mean, we changed everything from top down. Bankers, lawyers, accountants insurance payroll health insurance 
everything, did the rebranding, the re-logo, solidified our relationships with existing accounts, built relationships with new accounts, vendors like us again, like top to bottom, all the way around. Man, how much coffee are you drinking a day? I'm a tea guy. I drink a lot of tea. <laughs> a lot of tea. A lot of tea. Um, all right, last two questions, and then we'll uh, we'll get you out of here. You can enjoy your Friday. Um, I want to talk about recently. You gained some positive press for your recent hiring of the incoming uh, Nepali population. Mm-hmm. Tell us what that first what that's done for your company culture, and then what it mean. Like, what are the unique needs that immigrants might have when it comes to employment? Yeah, so that was pretty cool uh, how it all came about. There, there were a couple individuals from the local Nepali population that were, were employed here, but they were such standouts in their work ethic and, and the effort they, they put forth. So we, we had uh, flyers translated into Nepali and Hindi, and we put them up in the, the two kind of geographical population areas and attracted a, a, a lot more from that population. And they've been nothing but amazing to, to work with. And, you know, I'm very proud of that, but they comprise a large portion of, of our, one of our shifts. Uh, we've had zero issues with the language barrier. We've had zero issues with communication. And there's a, that, and that's in that, that, that group, They've advanced into quality control positions. They've advanced into warehouse, tow motor, forklift operations. And there are a couple others that we're eyeing to move up the chain even further. So we're, we're very proud of our, our outreach into that population. And it worked very well for us. That's awesome. How, how did you manage the language barrier in the beginning? What did that look like? In the beginning, there there are a few from that group who spoke English, so we relied on them heavily. But then, just through you know a lot a lot more you know like photographic process, we said, okay, this is what you need to look for. This is what you need to do, and we've had zero issues. That's awesome. That's great. Impeccable attendance, just like reliable great group of people. That's awesome. Good for you guys. Um, All right. Last question. So we usually uh, end with a Northeast Ohio food spot, but since you are a Bobcat um, and I presume a proud Bobcat, because I don't know if I've ever met a a not proud Bobcat, right? Go Bobbies. Um, I I stuck around for two degrees. So I I was really entrenched there. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, So Let's talk about your favorite food spots in Athens. Um, can be can be breakfast, lunch, dinner. Can be also the the two a.m. spot. But your right. whatever you got. So I, you know, Casa Nueva was always a favorite. Yep. I still, I mean, it still pops into my head. And then another because I was there in the late '90s and early 2000s. So another one was it was a place called Seven Sauces. It's not we, there anymore. It's gone. It's but it was a great, I don't, they just had a mishmash of everything, but it was a nice restaurant. And then my favorite 2 a.m. spot, 8 a.m. spot, 2 p.m. spot was Union Street Diner. Best yep. hash browns ever. I yep. still think about their hash browns. 
Yeah, it's so. a great, great spot. Where, uh, where did you live off campus? So off campus, oh man, where did I live? I live, I mean, I didn't live in a house. So okay. I lived, yeah, I lived in an apartment my junior year and senior year and then lived in an apartment for, during grad school. But I, it was whatever those big tall ones were down by the old, like the New South Green Lakeview or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah yep. there was a bunch of us that, that stuck together from freshman and sophomore year that all went in. It, yep. It worked well. I don't remember. I mean, I, my memories of OU are more, I think more, maybe, maybe more, more romanticized now. Like I think about the campus green and walking and all, you know, just the beauty of it. And yep. I think about like some of the fun times I had, cause I, I mean, I hung out at the union. I hung out at Tony's yep. those were my, and my main, main spots. And then, um, you know, if you ask me like, What'd your apartment look like? I'm like, I have no clue. No, like, clue. I don't remember. I don't, it doesn't like it. I don't recall. Yep. Yeah. But love it. I, yeah, I did. I loved OU. So actually going down to Hawking Hills in a couple of weeks. Nice. That's yeah. awesome. Um, well, Mick, listen, we appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. Um, last thing. And now you can say this, which I don't know if you would be able to say it, uh, you know, a year or two ago, but uh, where can everyone find you? social website all that stuff well it's, you know pilotplastics.com so definitely find us there check out our website and then i'm pretty active on linkedin so just check you know look me up mick gendersack i'm on linkedin i i enjoy i've met so many amazing people through linkedin that's just been a a great great thing so far for us here at pilot awesome well congrats on all the 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 new updates and the success and uh yeah we will we'll, i'm sure we'll have you on again soon but uh thank you. enjoy the rest of the friday enjoy the weekend and we'll talk yep. soon thank you again you as well thank you all right bye yep. thanks for tuning into this episode of the rust belt rundown make sure you check us out at rustbeltrecruiting.com the rust belt rundown is available wherever you listen to your podcasts make sure to hit that subscribe button and click on five stars if you enjoyed this episode See you next time.